Hi, I'm Mark Lynch, director of the Project on Middle East Political Science. Welcome back to the Poll Maps Middle East Books podcast, our series of conversations with scholars with exciting new books in the field. Joining us today is Lali Khalili of uh, Queen Mary University of London. She's a professor of international politics, and she recently published uh, a brand new book called Sinews of War and Trade, Shipping and Capitalism in the Arabian Peninsula. Uh, Lali, thanks for joining us. Thank you very much for having me. I'm looking forward to this conversation. So tell us about this book. Uh, it's a bit of a departure for you. Uh, so tell us you know, what inspired this book and what were you trying to accomplish with it? Um, the book came about because I had been uh, throughout my career working on war and political violence. And uh, my previous book had been uh, so incredibly difficult to research. It was actually quite raw talking to people who had been in uh, detention. This was um, Time in the Shadows, which was about counterinsurgencies. And, and I really wanted some a different kind of uh, approach, a different kind of project, a project that did not necessarily lead um, at the edge of war and with sort of human violence. Violence, although, of course, there's a huge amount of violence in shipping. And around the same time, a friend of mine who worked for International Transport Workers Federation suggested that it might be interesting to research um, uh, Dubai and other countries um, of the Arabian Peninsula, in particular on the Gulf side, um, because there was, a, there was a lot of really interesting stuff going on with maritime shipping and logistics. Uh, but a lot of the attention is often um, of, of international institutions are often on uh, East Asia and Southeast Asia rather than on the Middle East and even in the Middle East um, very infrequently on the peninsula and so I thought that would be quite interesting. I also had another impetus which I'm uh, happy to talk a little bit more about. Um, I had visited on a number of occasions for other reasons um, some of the uh, city-states and countries of the Gulf and although of course there's a lot of truth to lots of things that people say, the, the authoritarianism, uh, the, the, the uses and abuses of migrant labor um, and, and some of the other elements, I also found that many of these countries didn't actually match uh, the kind of reputation um, of uh, bling, of shallowness, of having, of lacking a history. And I really also wanted to sort of address this. There's a, there's a really large, uh, or an increasingly um, uh, large, I should say, not very large, a community of uh, younger scholars working on uh, the Gulf. And I um, sort of wanted to help uh, it, it write a little bit in, in that direction as well, to write something that didn't necessarily feed the cliches. And so that's how the book yeah. came about. Well, so, I mean, there's so many different ways we could go at this. And later, I want to talk about what it was like to actually ride on these uh, these tanker ships. But, um, but let me start, though, with kind of like a big macro question, because uh, it seems to me that one of the big contributions of the book is to really recenter uh, the Arabian Peninsula within the within these uh, these trade routes and the shipping routes and global capitalism. And looking at it from the outside in like that, it really does give us a very different perspective on what these countries are and how they fit into the international economy and into global geopolitics. So tell us a little bit about that then, of kind of how, how you approached uh, this new way of thinking about the Arabian Peninsula um, and kind of what, and what do you think we can learn from it? 
So there are a couple of things here. First, and I think it's really important to say that there is a very uh, august and amazing uh, body of historical literature that actually focuses on the role of the Arabian Peninsula countries in, uh, yeah, and in, 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 in not only in their internal history, but also in their Indian Ocean location. So, so their role as trade outposts. And increasingly, again, there are lots of young scholars, uh, Fahad Bishara, Johan Matthew, um, and a number of others, um, uh, Nora Laurie and others mm -hmm. that are working on um, this material um, and uh, but, but what is interesting is that there is very little actually about the role of trade um, and, and the transformation of the peninsula beyond the trade in oil once oil becomes the commodity that starts defining the political economy of these countries. And so that was to me very interesting. But the second thing that was really interesting to me is that um, whenever you look at the list of the Journal of Commerce's top 10 um, container ports in the world, the only port that is not either in East Asia or Southeast Asia in that top 10 list is Dubai, is Jabal Ali in Dubai. And, and to me, that was also really interesting. Why is it that Jabal Ali, which does not have a very large hinterland, which is a city-state, um, why would it end up being such a significant uh, port for container trans, uh, transport? And so that in itself also posed a puzzle for me. And that puzzle was, why is it that the Arabian Peninsula matters so much? Mm -hmm. And once that puzzle was um, posed, then the question also uh, transcended the usual geopolitical debates. It ended up also transcending just discussions that are solely about oil and the role of oil. It ended up being about how particular forms of trade that existed before uh, many of these emirates ended up becoming protectorates um, end up leaving traces in in the in the sort of the post-colonial or post-independence era um, uh, of the of the economies of these places but these but these traces are also political they also emerge in the way that social institutions uh, particularly around labor are organized and it emerges really strongly in the shape of uh, the ports um, and this and this port cities so um, in a way uh, the kind of I wanted to both zoom out in the sense that I wanted to step outside of the, inter, the geopolitical or the, the state uh, politics, I wanted to zoom out to a kind of more regional Indian Ocean um, and global trade, but I also wanted to zoom in and focus on the kind of uh, stories that emerge in the context of these forms of global trade and to locate Arabian Peninsula not as some sort of hermetically sealed, uh, exceptional kind of object of study, but rather as one node in the large, vast network of global trade um, and, and, and developing and transforming uh, constantly uh, mm -hmm. as this kind of node. No, absolutely. And that comes through so clearly. One thing which really struck me is just how, how you were able to really focus in on the physicality of this, that you do, of course, have the geopolitics and the negotiations between the British and local, um, local rulers and the like but also just the, the physical geography of it and the, uh, the, the, the difficulties of shipping and what it required to take a port and, and create it. And that physicality is something which I think is often missing from a lot of at least the diplomatic histories that I'm more familiar with. 
Yeah, I think that that's a that's a really nice thing to have picked up about the book. Um, I think it, in part that comes from uh, the fact that I'm a bit of a um, walker. I like going on long walks when I go traveling anywhere, even in uh, sometimes 45, 46 degree temperatures of the, uh, the centigrade uh, te temperatures of the Gulf uh, city states. I love going walking. I love the topography of places. So um, and I love to get close into the the ports and observe them. So, so, so there's something of an uh, urban wanderer in me. But there's also, um, I'm not sure whether you know, but uh, my undergraduate degree is in engineering. And uh, part of, <laughs> yeah, yes, uh, I'm a frustrated chemical engineer. Actually, I'm not a frustrated chemical engineer. It was a very, um, very determined uh, decision not to continue as an engineer. But because I trained as an engineer, I'm also very aware of the material life of objects, of the material life of ports, of the material life even of the fluids that, for example, are um, uh, uh, stored in the massive tank farms that often border the ports. And so I'm very interested in that physicality, that materiality of it. And then there's also just the curiosity of how things work. So I actually spent days reading about how concrete is made in mm -hmm. order to maybe write like maybe three paragraphs of one of the chapters. But it right. is why that can't, Why can't they just use their own sand? Why do they have to import sand? Yes, exactly. So, so to me, it was these kinds of weird little puzzles, which I really wanted to understand because I felt that if I wanted to convey a story that felt true to how things were operating, I needed to understand how things worked. And that meant understanding the, how concrete is made, um, understanding, for example, financial derivatives used for um, uh, shipping, uh, understanding the history of the ports, understanding I, whatever that came up. And mm -hmm. so that element really also affected the shape of the book and the way that, uh, and the way it's written, but also what is has been included in it. Well, choose like uh, like one port, like yeah, one of your favorite ports, and kind of walk us through a little bit, like how did it emerge, how did it evolve, and kind of the uh, the relationship between both those global flows and the local politics, and and also like this how it actually works. Just choose one of them and like okay. walk us through it. So the one that the, the port that I want to choose to walk through, I have actually not gone onto the ground of the port. However, I have arrived into it on board a container ship, and that's the port of Jeddah in Saudi Arabia. Okay, um, it's one of the most uh, beautiful, actually, ports to arrive into because the port is still fairly close to the center of town. In a lot of the other places, the ports are at some distance from the center of town, and the center of the city of Jeddah has a lot of modernist buildings still remaining from the 1960s and 70s, which means that it has gorgeous, glorious architecture. But it's also a very dramatic place to arrive into. And the reason that it's a very dramatic place to arrive into, both physically, um, but also politically, um, physically it's dramatic because uh, the Port of Jeddah, like a lot of the cities on the uh, Red Sea, um, are sitting on a shoreline that is very much defined by old reefs. Now, these reefs, uh, which are incredibly um, uh, uh, 
hard, uh, essentially turned into hard stone, um, are extremely dangerous to ships. And so when you arrive into it, into the port, the, the approach channel constantly has these buoys that are pointing out to where the ship should avoid going because it could potentially ground on the reefs. So it's quite dramatic arriving into the port. But it's also politically dramatic because um, as we're arriving into the port, I was allowed to go to ports where the seafarers were allowed to get off the ship. I was also allowed to get off um, the ships on. But uh, Jeddah was different. Um, in Jeddah, seafarers, uh, Christian or Muslim, are not allowed to leave the port. Um, and as a woman traveler, passenger on the ship, I was told that perhaps it would be good for me not to come down. In fact, they would prefer no passengers to come down and talk to the pilots that came to help the ship come on board. But also, interestingly, there was, a, there was a quite a lot of concern about um, other elements. So, for example, they 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 were worried about inspections of the ships, um, and so uh, the ships were in it, it, the seafarers were asked to be quite respectful and quite uh, quite uh, cautious. So, this to me was interesting because one of the stories that I had heard was that 20, 30 years ago, if you had Muslim seafarers, that they could potentially get off and they could go and perform the Umrah. Uh, Hajj, they could, they could do the mm -hmm. Umrah pilgrimage, um, and uh, to the fact that that had been that had stopped was uh, of interest to me. Now, the port of Jeddah, of course, is the port of the city of Mecca, the holy city of Mecca, and therefore it has a very long history of pilgrimage from all around the Muslim world, so uh, from Southeast Asia to, uh, to to East Africa and to West Africa, as as well as other places. And in many of these places, until airplanes became the sort of primary mode of transport, shipping was the way that people uh, traveled from wherever they were to, uh, to the port of Jeddah and, and then got off the ship there and took a caravan usually of some sort, either uh, at first before automobiles of uh, camels or horses, and then once automobiles were invented of caravans of cars, and then they would go to Mecca together. But what was interesting was that the shipping companies that actually controlled their pilgrimage to Mecca in the, in the modern times are all colonial shipping companies. So some of the biggest shipping companies are Dutch, which were serving Indonesia, British that were serving Malaysia and India, um, the French ships that control sort of West African Muslim countries. And so what was fascinating was that there was an entire business, uh, 19th century and all the way up until actually the middle of the 20th century, where these, you know, colonial shipping companies defined the business of shipping there. And what is interesting is that alongside this, of course, emerges an indigenous shipping that tries to compete against these colonial sh uh, shippers and are constantly batted back, not through, for example, corporate practices, not through capitalist competition, but they're batted back by the colonial powers. Johan Matthew has a little bit about this in his own book, but I actually found elements of that throughout. And so the transformation of Jeddah from a pilgrimage port that, served, that, that was at some point controlled by the Ottoman Empire and then later, uh, of course, the Ola Saud established their kingdom there. The transformation of it from a kind of a port that only receives pilgrimage to eventually being an important port of trade, uh, perhaps the most important Saudi port of trade um, on the Red Sea, um, ended up being fascinating to me because it talked about those old pre-colonial histories. Uh, it, it, it showed those old pre-colonial connections. It showed the roots of a lot of the trading houses and the kind of old banking services 
services that were provided to pilgrims from these other colonies, but it also showed the way that local capitalists, local merchants were actually fighting to establish um, a foothold within this emerging and expanding pilgrimage economy and later oil economy. So to me, that uh, Jeddah was fantastic yeah. because it showed that there was this long history beforehand, but the way that this long history then takes on new capitalist forms of uh, trade, um, it, to me, it was actually very, very indicative of the kinds of histories that we don't talk about, the kind of continuities that tend to be very important uh, in maritime trade in the Arabian Peninsula. Yeah, that's fascinating. Why don't we, let's flip around to the other side of the peninsula then, maybe, maybe, maybe Dubai. Okay, so Dubai is also fascinating and perhaps even uh, more fascinating in some ways because of the fact that unlike, say, Abu Dhabi uh, or uh, Qatar or, um, let's say, uh, Kuwait, it does not have, or even Oman, it does not have the natural resources, the oil or the gas, natural gas, that would give it the necessary, uh, let's say, uh, starting capital to build massive infrastructures. Um, and yet, Dubai has emerged as this incredible uh, number, usually eight or nine on the Journal of Commerce, um, mm -hmm. most significant container ports. And part of the reason for that, again, is historic. So Dubai, um, uh, the Dubai's rulers, uh, Dubai's rulers, like many of the rulers of those uh, city-states along the um, along the Gulf uh, were of course um, quote unquote under British protection which means essentially they had a kind of a colonial client relationship with the British Empire and the British Empire was interested in these places of course in the 19th century uh, because of its proximity to India because it was a route on the post or it was a node on the postal route uh, both overland and uh, otherwise to India and I think that that um, that strategic role uh, has to a large extent defined many of these city-states on the Gulf, uh, their, their relationship to uh, the British at first and then the US. And what I mean by that is that these city-states, because of their, their strategic importance, um, whether as nodes of empire and later as places for the trading of oil and the coming in of goods. I mean, what we forget is that when you sell oil, the money is often spent on an enormous amount of consumer goods and industrial goods and various other kinds of goods coming in. And that kind of trade needed to be protected in some ways and so for and and that tended to bring in a kind of an complex relationship to these uh colonial powers and later imperial powers um dubai was interesting because its ruling family made the decision to remain on the good side of the british and what that meant was that when the british in the 1950s were deciding uh, whether or not to budget money for the development of a port there or in Sharjah, they chose to go with Dubai. And the reason they did so was because they found that the emir of Sharjah, although also a client, was nevertheless a little bit too independent and had mm -hmm. too close a relationship to the nation Arab nationalist powers. And so I think, to me, that was interesting because even where there was a contestation by, and, and in most instances, it was the local merchants that were pushing. So, so this kind of a new bourgeoisie that were pushing for developments, their demand for development of infrastructure was again battled back by the British, 
unless the ruling family was um, in some ways uh, willing to, to play with the British. Um, and that story has continued to some extent, although of course now it's not the British anymore that are sort of um, the great uh, power, uh, but, the, but the US. But what has been interesting about Dubai is that it has very carefully cultivated not only these sets of trade relations with a powerful protector, but also has developed relations of trade across the water, even at times, for example, with Iran and Iraq, even at times when Iran and Iraq have not had felicitous relationships with, say, Abu Dhabi. So that kind of a commercial relationship, the kind of uh, careful uh, establishing of financial ties, for example, across the waters to both India at first and now to China in terms of inviting uh, investments, it has been something that they've been very good at, which also partially explains why they are such a significant port um, on, on that list. So, and what's really interesting then, and the way you tell each of these two stories, I think really brings it out, is that a port is never just a port. It's, it's the port, but there's also everything that goes around it, the, the banking and the free, the free trade zone areas and the railroads and, 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 and physical roads that uh, let people go, move materials and people out of those, um, and the workers um, who, who are there doing all the work. And so you what I came away with from the book was this sense of the port as this node of something much, much bigger, also something very physical, but also really a node and a much larger kind of web of social and physical and institutional arrangements. Yep. It's, I mean, I do say that, uh, that the port is a bundle. It's not just the cranes that allow for, for example, containers to come on board or for bulk uh, goods to come on board or those piping that, you know, fill up, fill up tankers or, or empty tankers. But it is also, for example, as you said, the free trade zone that sits there. It's the, road and the roads and rails on which trucks take away the goods that have just been unloaded. Um, and in addition to that, it is also, of course, a set of virtual infrastructures. For example, electronic systems that trace which ships come in and which ships are leaving or have customs forms or all sorts of information. And it's, of course, finance who finance the ship who finance the ports, who finance the goods that are coming on it. Um, and it is uh, standards of accounting, it's standards of engineering, and most importantly, it's the people who work on the ports, whether these are port workers or the seafarers who drive, who, who bring the ships into the ports. But also, and I try to tell the story as well, I try to talk about the sort of the, the expertise that is brought in as well, um, uh, increasingly from all around the world, in order to establish a set of capitalist relationships relations which have obtained and consolidated in particular ways until today. And I also talk about the, the sort of the contentiousness between local merchants and external um, capital and the way that these relations of contention, enmity and friendship are constantly morphing into different kinds of things. So, so yes, so Dubai, is, Dubai port is dependent also on the media city and it's dependent on Dubai international finance city and it's dependent on all of the other kinds of zones within Dubai in which other kinds of business are happening. And so that's actually a nice transition maybe into kind of a last question, which is that, you know, most of what we've been talking about so far has been about kind of the earlier history of this and, and the evolution of it, because I find that so interesting. But you are a professor of international affairs, international politics, and, you know, you, you've written a lot about geopolitics and, and, and international relations and the like. So what do scholars of international relations 
of the Middle East, what do they need to know from your book that would make them rethink uh, assumptions or, or just things that are commonly believed within, within that field? What are they missing by not knowing the stuff that you're, that you're telling us in this book? So <clears throat> some of the ways, sorry, <clears throat> some of the ways in which I think um, thinking about Arabian Peninsula has congealed in ways that I think um, are again being addressed in really fascinating ways by, by, other, by a lot of new scholars is one, a focus on security almost to the exclusion of so much else. So, for example, when people talk about Qatar, uh, they talk about the role that Qatar plays in international politics or, uh, the, the, for example, the base, that the, the, the CENTCOM base that it hosts. Um, and very often they miss out some of the other ways in which security operates in interesting ways that are not always obvious. So via the port, for example, or via the movement of goods and how that is considered to be a question of security, which we of course found out a little bit when uh, the UAE Saudi boycott went into effect against uh, Qatar and Qatar had to very quickly figure out how to ensure that its uh, food supply chain was not going to be disrupted. And so suddenly the question of security there wasn't just about about militaries, it was also about ports. Um, so that was one of the things. The second thing that I really wanted to kind of, and, and I really, perhaps more than anything else, I really wanted to point to was that this discussion that somehow the Arabian Peninsula is very exceptional, mm -hmm. um, tends to be reinforced by the fact that so much of the oil in the region comes, uh, it, it, so, so much of the oil in the world comes out of the region, but there's so much else about the countries um, on the Arabian Peninsula where if you, for example, travel, and, and I have mentioned this elsewhere, if you travel, for example, to Singapore, one has deja vu of being in Dubai. This, aside from the fact that you've got this sort of the lovely warm weather, you also have very similar kinds of, these are trading cities, they, they um, are city-states, they are ruled by authoritarian regimes, they are dependent on external trade, they're also dependent on foreign workers, uh, migrant workers, and so there's the similarities, and they have a consumerist culture, which of course, um, arises perhaps because they are these ports of transit and so that to me also that's that uh, deja vu that sense of similarity the, the sort of continuities that are spatial as well as historic was another fascinating thing and I really wanted to emphasize that uh, what I'm writing here about the Arabian Peninsula has its echoes in other places in other parts of the world so that was this, the, the second thing and the third thing that was really important to me was that I wanted to tell a story that wasn't only about, let's say, Dubai as bling or, uh, or Saudi Arabia as only a place where oil is pumped out of the earth and sent off on tankers or through um, pipelines elsewhere. I wanted to tell a story of the people who made these places and the social and political relations that made these places possible. And so in part, um, that, that's why sort of so much of the emphasis of the book is on the people of the collectivities that actually had such a role in the making of these places. And I'm hoping that that also, again, there are lots of other people doing this um, amazing work um, and, and I have been inspired by them and cited them. But I think that that was really also one of the other things that was important to me. I wanted to make sure that the book didn't reinforce uh, stereotypical views of, of the, of, of uh, uh, 
the Arabian Peninsula as a kind of an arid, both intellectually and physically, place in which nothing happened except for these exceptional events. Um, they are actually incredibly rich uh, societies with incredibly complex sets of political and social relations. And so I was hoping to get at that a little bit in my work as well. Well, you're absolutely right about this, uh, this rich new research community. Hopefully we'll be speaking to more of those authors over the course of this season uh, of the podcast. Um, I wanted to thank Lali Khalili uh, for joining us on the Pomaps podcast. This is a really fascinating book, Sinews of War and Trade, Shipping and Capitalism in the Arabian Peninsula. Uh, Lali, thanks for joining us. Thank you so much for having me, Mark. I appreciate it. Mm -hmm.